21 and 22. But test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. If you will, be turning in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 as we study together for a few minutes this morning. I don't know if you picked up an outline on the way in. If you did not, then you perhaps do not know that the title of this morning's lesson is I Can't See Any Harm in It. The title of this lesson comes from an old expression that's been around for a long, long time. When someone is attempting to justify questionable activity, they'll say, I can't see any harm in it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul gives us some important guidelines for making moral decisions in our lives. Look at verse 13 with me. No temptation, Paul writes, has overtaken you except such as is common to man. That is, everyone is tempted the way other people are tempted, at least in some regard. And then he goes on to say, but God is faithful. Watch this. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. There is a plethora of lessons to be drawn from that one verse. I want to point out only two, if I may, for the moment. God sees to it, number one, God sees to it that an exit door is always there, available for us when any temptation comes our way. The second point, I think, is equally important, and that is it is our responsibility to make sure that we identify where that door of escape is, that exit is, and then that we take it. Now, it's one thing to be able to identify the door. It's another to have the moral fortitude to be willing to take that way of escape. But these are are at least two principles that I know of that the Bible uses to help each of us as God's children to make the right kinds of choices and decisions in our lives. The Bible teaches, and I think this is the foundation of this entire study, that God's people are to be people characterized by pure moral and godly lives. I think we're all in tacit agreement on that point. Whether we're able to accomplish that to the degree that we really would like to is another matter entirely, but still that's the ideal. That's God's goal for each of us, and it should be our goal as well. But when it gets down to the day-to-day nuts and bolts of living for Jesus, sometimes it's very difficult to make the right decisions. One characteristic of spiritual maturity, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 5 and verse 12, or verse 14 rather, is the ability to discern both good and evil. So if we're growing the way that we should, it should get easier for us to be able to make that discernment. To be able to say, I know that's wrong and I'm going to leave it alone. Or I know that this particular thought, uh, speech, or activity is good and so I need to be involved in that. So the question to consider in making moral decisions isn't always just, does God's word expressly condemn it? Sometimes we want to look at it only from that negative perspective. But there are other guidelines that God gives us in his holy word. I remind you in 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3, Peter says, God by his divine power has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. So here's the guidebook. Here's the instruction manual. Here is what God has given us to be able to regulate our thoughts and our activities every day of our life. So again, the question isn't just, does God condemn it? I would remind you that things like drug abuse, euthanasia, pornography, gambling, abortion, those things are not spoken of in the exact word. That is, they're not called that. They're dealt with in principle. 
But those specific activities are not spoken of in God's word in the sense of God saying, here are the specific things I want you to leave alone. I want to give you very quickly, we're going to run through these as quickly as we can, some, some tests that we can use to be able to regulate our activity in such a way that we know that we're living lives that God would approve of. There's, first of all, the personal test. Will doing this make me a better or a worse Christian? See, it isn't just a matter of, is, is God has expressly condemned this? But ask ourselves, will this help me to get closer to God? Or will making this decision and engaging in this activity drive me farther away from God? And that ought to be a matter of crucial importance to each of us. Now, many of the things, and we need to state this right up front, many of the things that we confront in our lives in terms of temptation are are dealt with and spoken of in scripture. And we'll, we'll mention that in just a moment, but they'll, they all fall into one of two categories. They either will make us stronger or they will make us spiritually weaker. Some things we can participate in are matters of spiritual indifference. That is, it doesn't matter where you're involved in those activities or not in, in, in a moral uh, sort of way. God has said it doesn't really matter if you play tennis or golf or, or if you're a ball fan or whatever it is. Unless perhaps your involvement in those activities represents a, a poor stewardship of your time. It's very possible for me to be engaged even in a, a spiritually indifferent activity, but so engaged in it that I'm, I'm neglecting other matters of, of greater importance. That, that's the personal test. Secondly, there's, there's the social test. Will doing this influence others to be better or worse? Question number one, will it make me a better or a worse Christian? And secondly... What kind of impact will this have on those around me? Will it help others who see me in this activity to be stronger or weaker? You see, if a non-Christian witnesses my activity, would he or she be less likely to want to become a disciple of Jesus Christ? I think that's a question that every conscientious child of God needs to ask him or herself. The belief that what I do is nobody's business is just won't hold water. I mean, uh, scripturally or practically. Paul once reminded us that no man lives to himself and no man dies to himself. He, he just wanted us to understand that what we do really does make a difference in the hearts and the lives of people around us. Nobody lives on an island. You're, you're not isolated from other people that you're going to have an influence upon the people around you. In fact, Paul once reminded us of that fact in, in a, a couple of different ways. One is Romans 14 verse 13. He says, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. He's talking about the eating of meats in that passage. But rather, resolve this, Paul says. Do not, watch this carefully, this is so important. Do not put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. That needs to be in the forefront of our minds when we're making moral decisions. And Jesus said basically the same thing over in Matthew chapter 18. Listen to verses 6 and 7. But whoever causes one of these little ones, I think the context demands that he's talking about new Christians there, by the way, because he says who believe. They're of a believing age. Anyone who causes one of these little ones to sin, it would be better for him if a, a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. That's pretty harsh language. But Jesus wants us to know how critically, vitally important this is. Anyone that would cause a new Christian, a babe in Christ, to fall 
It would be better if he were drowned in the ocean. Then he goes on to, in verse 7 to say, Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come. But woe to the man by whom that offense comes. In other words, if somebody's going to be offended, don't let it be by you. Don't you call someone else to, to fall or to stumble spiritually by your involvement in a questionable activity. So this begs the question, what is the offense as spoken of in Scripture? Man, we're living in a world, and specifically in a culture right now, where everything you do offends somebody. Amen? I mean, we are living in an offended world. But that's not what the Bible is talking about. It isn't saying, now, be careful that you don't hurt so- someone's feelings. Be careful that you don't do something that somebody will feel bad about. That's not what he's talking about. The word offend, as used in these passages, has to do with literally causing someone to stumble or fall spiritually. So that's the offense that God's people need to be concerned with. So that's the third test. The practical test is the the third one that I want us to consider. Will this, the results of, of my involvement in this activity, of my making this choice to do this thing or not do this thing, will it have consequences that are desirable? You know, the decision to drink alcohol to, to do drugs, to have intimate relations outside of the marriage union, to gamble away one's paycheck, to abort one's baby. What will be the real world tangible impact of those activities, not only on myself, but upon those around me? The Bible teaches, at least in principle, that we need to ask ourselves, what kind of seed are we sowing? When we involve ourselves in a particular action, what kind of harvest can we expect to reap when we do this thing? I know that everyone of a particular age in this audience this morning will agree with what I'm about to say. You can ruin your entire life by making one bad decision. We see this in politics. We see this in the entertainment world. We see this all around us day by day. Somebody can just make one bad decision, having apparently never thought about now, what are the real world consequences of this? Remember, church, when you choose your actions, you have chosen your consequences. We need to remind our our sons and daughters of that. We need to impact them with the validity of that truth because our priorities are going to be established with this practical test, or at least they should be, with this practical test in mind. For example, in a, in a very practical way, if I, if I accept this particular promotion, that will mean long hours away from my family. And, and I will not be able to be involved in church as I was. So am I willing to make that decision to accept that promotion? Or if I, if I move to a particular city where the church is weak or non-existent, will I go there and help build the church up? Or will I lose my own spiritual interest? That's what we're talking about when we talk about the practical test. And then number four, there's the scriptural test. Does the Bible endorse a particular action? Or is it expressly condemned? Hopefully for the child of God, if God's word expressly condemns an action, then that ought to be enough for us. That should be, the case should be closed. And the Bible does give us a list of several things about which, in particular, the Apostle Paul said, if you do these things, you can't go to heaven. You can either be involved in these activities or you can go to heaven, but you can't do both. 
Those lists, by the way, can be found in places like Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21. I hope you're writing this down. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Colossians chapter 3, 5 through 9. In all of those places, Paul lists things that God has said that his people should not be involved in. And by the way, it is not in order to inhibit our happiness that God provides those lists. It is in order to make our happiness possible. He recognizes that these things are harmful to us. If we'll stay away from them, we'll live the abundant life here, but only then. Then there's the stewardship test. Will my doing this constitute a waste of my talent, my time, or my money with which the Lord has entrusted me? See, the reality is that the vast majority of those who, who, for example, play the lottery are people who can least afford to play the lottery. In fact, the lottery has been called a tax on the poor for that reason. That is, it's poor stewardship as well as having made a poor moral choice. And so we need to ask ourselves, do, do we channel all or most of our talents and energies into our occupations and our recreations? And do we give God the leftover? That's what we're, we're talking about in terms of stewardship. And then there's the character test. What will be the impact of this act? And this is very similar to one that we've already mentioned, but slightly different. What will be the impact of this on, on my moral and spiritual stamina? I remember hearing an expression for a long, long time ago and for many years, sow a thought and reap an act. Sow an act and you reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a life. Sow a life, reap a destiny. And that really is true. Once again, think of it in terms of every decision that we make is a seed of sorts that we are planting in the ground, and it will come up. We can't plant the seed of poor habits and poor actions and then hope for a, 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 a failed harvest. God's word says there's going, to be, there's going to be consequences. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap, Galatians 6 and verse 7. Someone has said that reputation is what other people think you are. Character is what you know you are. And someone else has said that character is revealed what, by what you do when no one else is looking. I think there's validity to those observations. And in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, the writer says that in order to run the Christian race successfully, in order to develop the perseverance that is necessary spiritually for us to be able to run the Christian life successfully, we've got to be putting off these sins and not putting them on. He said, put off the weights that so easily beset you or ensnare you. So it, we don't need to be putting these on. We need to be taking them off. Every day, we ought to be a little bit better than we were yesterday. That's the idea of spiritual maturity. And that's why these tests are so important as they judge our actions and our character. And then there's the family test. Maybe you've already thought about this one as you're perusing and thinking about what else can, can he add to this list? The family, the family test. I remember when our kids were growing up, oftentimes when they would leave the house and go on a date or go somewhere else with their friends, as, as they were making their way out the door, we would say, remember who you are. That's the family test. It, it's so important that we, that we use this as at least one of the criteria for making moral decisions. Will it bring discredit and dishonor to my family? Will it embarrass them or would they be proud to know of my involvement in this particular activity? You know, Japanese children are traditionally reputed to choose death over dishonor. 
brought to their families. And even if God and his standards, even if those are not a major consideration to a person, at least they should have enough spiritual sensitivity to ask, will this bring dishonor and disrespect to my family? That's the family test. In the next place, there's the publicity test. Would I be willing for my friends and my, especially my fellow Christians or maybe the elders down at church to know of my involvement in this activity? Would I be embarrassed for this activity to come to light so that other people will know about it? If I would, then I ought to think more than twice, at least 12 times before I engage myself in that activity. You know, I know that there are some people, I've talked to them, who condone private drinking by saying nobody, nobody knows about this, and they, but they would be embarrassed if someone found them with, with a bottle or a can of an alcoholic beverage in their hand. That's the publicity test, and it needs to be a consideration. Then there's the common sense test. Does this decision agree with just plain, every, everyday, ordinary common sense? I know that sounds like a, a point that my, my grandmother might put in a sermon, but it's still a good one. Does it pass the muster of common sense? You know what common sense is, don't you? It's that mental faculty that tells you to never slap a man in the face who chews tobacco. That's common sense. (laughs) Those kinds of things will get us a long way toward making right decisions. So consider smoking or drinking, for example. Either of those activities defy any standard of common sense. I'm going to deliberately put these elements in my body knowing that they are detrimental to my health and my well-being. So an activity should not only be regulated by the good book, it should also be regulated by good sense. Then there's the fairness test. Is it honest? Scripture says this about that. 2 Corinthians 8.21, listen church. Providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. Or how about this one, Romans 12, verse 17. It may be even more familiar to you. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. So is it a consistent application of the golden rule? That is, I'm doing unto others as I would have them do unto me. Are we being fair when we engage ourselves in this activity? And then finally, there's the universal test. It's amazing at how often a person will consider an action acceptable for himself, but uh, wouldn't want anybody else doing it. Have you ever met anybody like that? It's okay for me, but man, I wouldn't want everybody in the world doing it. And that's why we call it the, the universal test. I, I, I love my dad. I love the tremendous impact that he had on my life in terms of influence, but I can still remember when, when people started wearing seatbelts in cars. Y'all remember when you couldn't? They weren't there. You didn't have, in in fact, uh, if it was a long distance trip, the kids would lay up in the back window of the car and take naps. Or you'd stand between the two front seats, you know, and talk to your mom and dad till they told you to shut up and sit down. There weren't any, but my dad was in that era, that transition between no seat belts to the law saying that you've got to wear a seat belt. And so till he died, my dad said, it's a good idea for people to wear the seat belts. But to the best of my knowledge, he never wore one. It's good. It's okay for everybody else, but I really don't think I need to do it. And sometimes about even more serious matters, at least spiritually and morally, we can make, we can be in that, uh, in that arena where we think it's okay for me, but not for everyone else. Persons who steal from others would be outraged if anyone stole from him. 
someone who is being abusive and unkind to their mate would decry the situation if their mate was abusive or unkind to them. You know what I'm talking about. So the question is, with the universal test, what kind of world would we have if everyone practiced this action that you're considering? God truly has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That is, he has given us this rule book, this, this roadmap from earth to heaven, in order to make the best life possible for us here, but also to give us sufficient preparation to be able to live someday in eternity. And I am so glad that he has. Our text says, I remind you from 1 Thessalonians, prove or test all things, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. That's not just Paul's good idea, folks. That's the mind of God. And God wants his people to take these decisions and these actions, these choices, very, very seriously. All of this requires a spiritual conscientiousness and a measure of common sense to apply. So this morning, I'm asking the question, are you giving careful and prayerful consideration to your attitudes and to your words and to your actions? We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ as we walk in this world for Jesus. And the only Bible that some people will ever read is what they see in your life and in your example. We need to be taking this very seriously. God wants us to live holy lives. My question that I need to ask at the end, however, is this. Are you, in fact, a child of God? Have you turned your back upon sin and sincere repentance based upon your faith that has been allowed to grow and develop by your understanding of the word and the will of God? Are you willing to confess Jesus as God's son and be baptized to have every one of those mistakes washed away? Because the Bible teaches that there is no sin that you cannot overcome by the power and the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no sin that he is not willing to forgive. And if you need to come forward this morning and make your life right, won't you come while we stand and while we sing?